Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for the Group of Five and the FCS. Uh, but today we're talking Conference USA once again. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you as always. And Eric, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we all converged on Frisco, Texas for, uh, well, on Arlington, Texas, not Frisco, uh, for Conference USA Media Day at Globe Life Field there. We had a great time. Um, but we never really got a chance to kind of break down some of the things we heard and, you know, parlay that into what we're really expecting from uh, Conference USA this year in terms of storylines to watch and ultimately who's going to take home the hardware at the end of the season. Yeah, Joe, you are correct. I can't give you a hard time about Frisco because, of course, that's where Conference USA headquarters are. But I, I will bring the audience in. Uh, as we were booking a lodging, Joe almost had us in Frisco. So. You know, I did a little bit of a shift there to get us to Arlington. But I listen, I'm mm-hmm. pretty excited about this podcast. I know we're going to pitch to some sound of our conversations with various coaches and players. And that's really exciting. And I do wish, Joe, and, and I'm going to throw you under the bus for the second time in what two and a half minutes we've been recording. I do wish we could picture the sound of karate. Um, but <laughs> that will have to be something for another time. Maybe, maybe like we'll do a bloopers episode one time and we'll just bring that sound back up, you know, karate. And then we'll throw our good friend, Matt Bartlett from the roost under the bus with Malik Cunningham and just make it a whole, uh, you know, hodgepodge. Of, uh, <laughs> that, that might have to be just like a little, like two minute thing we drop on Twitter. If we have to, if, if I have time to cut that together, I think that would definitely be. <laughs> <laughs> would enjoy that if if the sound quality is good enough it depends on where uh the mic was in the room i don't remember off the top of my head but i know i was sitting towards the back and matt was way in the back which probably works out because we were trying to like slink out after having some of the most embarrassing moments of my professional life <laughs> <laughs> well you know listen we're gonna jump into things here but the beautiful thing and again matt's a great guy so he, he'll appreciate this mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about Matt's mistake is yours was a quick mistake. It was like karate, and then you know you stopped. Matt he mentioned Malik Cunningham in the beginning of his sentence, and then went on for like another twenty seconds. You got a chance to just look at the face of Rick Stockwell and others. He's like Malik Cunningham, huh? And then they figured it out. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, speaking of um, MTSU, I, th- I think one of the things that's interesting to me. And, you know, I, I think we have a, a little bit of audio from their presser that we'll uh, throw to in a bit. Um, but, you know, for all of the uncertainty around that team, very high expectations for the two players that they brought in Jalen Lane, who was a preseason All-American by uh, Phil Steele, um, certainly highly praised by a few other publications as well. And Jordan Ferguson, who, if you recall from uh, one of our previous podcasts, we listed him as a G5 prospect that's not getting near enough love. Uh, as far as the NFL draft buzz goes. So here we'll, we'll toss to a little bit of audio um, from their presser. And I think you can get a sense of like how ready they are to kind of prove some people wrong this year. That being said, 
who knows? Um, I don't know that MTSU has as complete a team as they would like, but these two guys uh, certainly something special. Uh, yeah, this offseason we had a lot of uh, you know player led practices, and uh, you know, it was great to see you know guys step up, you know take charge, and uh, we got a lot of good work in with no coaches out there. So it's, I see a lot of focus in this team this year. Uh, to piggyback off what Jenna said, yeah, we had a lot of practices uh, with, with ourselves and stuff, and uh, it's good to get guys or uh, coaches not with each other to practice like, you know, we, like we're with the coaches, and uh, we work out on the weekends as well, um, do our little drill work or throw a catch or pass rush together and just build that karate with each other and just build new chemistry. So I'm excited. Coach Stocksville, Eric Henry, SB Nation. Just want to ask you a question. It's been a challenge for you over the past few years. That's running back, or the running game from the running backs. Just talk about, is that still a point of emphasis for you, obviously, in the shift in offense, and how can you kind of generate more production again in the running game from the backs and not just the quarterbacks? Yeah, um, we've been very inconsistent the last couple of years uh, in the running game, and we've got to be a better running team. We've got to get better production. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with not just the running backs. I mean, it's it's everybody involved. And uh, but I feel really good about our running backs right now. Uh, our running situation. Uh, I like our offensive line. Uh, we lost a lot of guys there, but uh, the guys coming back uh, and the got new guys that we've got coming in, uh, I think are going to be able to enhance that. So. Uh, We've got to be better. We've got to be more consistent. But at the same time, uh, you know, you're not going to force the running game. You're not going to force the passing game. You're going to do whatever it takes to win the game. And that's the most important thing to me is just win. So, uh, but we've got, hopefully we'll be able to run the ball better this year than what we have the last couple of years. Let's get some questions for our student athletes. We've got two over there. Yes, sir. Uh, Joe Lauder here from SB Nation. Uh, question for Jalen. Uh, a couple different publications have you tabbed as a preseason All-American. Just curious how you're dealing with those expectations. You know, I try not to uh, look too far ahead. You know, I'm just focused on uh, building team camaraderie, like Jordan said. And, uh, you know, just, I'm just focused on, you know, being better than I was last year. You know, the accolades and stuff, that they come, they come. But, you know, I'm just trying to win ball games. All right, right next day, yep. Jordan, uh, Zach Riddle, Milton C News. Jordan, uh, last year the defense really stepped up and created a lot of offense for the offense. What is the next step for the defense? Uh, next step is, you know, we lost a lot of guys. I think we got picked back off last year. And, uh, um, we had a lot of guys who worked really hard. We played sure DQ Thomas that we uh, used to look up to, uh, myself as well. But I think we got to show the other guys how we do things. And it starts with the player-led practice. So uh, we kind of know what to look forward to. And it's high expectations from last year, so we're excited to get going. Got, got one for Jordan and one for Jalen. I'll start with Jordan first. You started a nonprofit recently. I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I came back and my mom's birthday is on Christmas and I kind of wanted to do something because I had a lot of men in my, in my life that helped me get to this point and uh, helped me grow and mature. And uh, I wanted to do stuff for these you know, people's always with, you know, in a worse situation than I am. And I just wanted to help out some people who are homeless people or they want food, whatever they need. It might be a homeless shelter where, where women and children can uh, do things financially. Uh, maybe they need, need cosmetics or you know some diapers or whatever. Whatever I can do to help, I just want to do. So that's that's my motive right there. Question for Jalen. Jalen, you know, you guys had kind of a breakout year last year. Can you tell me at first part of the question what you learned from some of the veteran guys like Jaron Harris and Jimmy Marshall? And then the second part of the question is, you know, the, the receiving room this year with guys like DJ and Chisholm and, and yourself. You know, uh, JP and uh, Jimmy and CJ. You know. 
since day one in 2020, they just kind of took me under the wing. So I'm very grateful for them. And, you know, they uh, they always told me, like, you know, you're, you're going to be a great player. They, they can see you in me. And they just always say, stay down, be humble. So I got to thank them for that. And, you know, a lot of guys coming back, they said DJ and Isaiah, those guys coming back. Yusuf got a lot of experience. I'm excited about our receiver room this year. Going to the other side of the 100 Miles of Hate rivalry now, uh, let's talk about Western Kentucky. And obviously the big news um, since Conference USA Media Day uh, for the Hilltoppers has been the entrance of uh, West Virginia transfer quarterback Jared Dagey uh, going into the transfer portal. It's Austin Reed, uh, QB1. And he is a self-described gunslinger. Um, you know, it could work out. It might not. Seems like most of the guys on that team are pretty happy for him. Uh, seems like he has a, a style of play that would get a wideout excited. But, you know, ultimately, it, it's it's interesting. He's different than Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi obviously had, um, you know, fantastic pocket presence last year. And at, at Houston Baptist, uh, Austin Reed likes to run around a little bit more. So I'm, I'm not going to say I'm nervous. But I'm interested to see how his play style differs from what they were doing last year. Yeah, you know what? And I think that's a really, really interesting point you make there as far as style of play differ from last year. Obviously, they have a different offensive coordinator coming in with Zach Hitley going to Texas Tech. But and I got to give a shout out to our good friend, Kevin Fielder. And Kevin, if you listen to this, as I said on Twitter, don't get used to getting compliments from you. You know, I hate you and uh, your lack of suits. Uh, it's an inside joke. <laughs> I love that. I love Kevin. The fact that he wore the Hawaiian shirt media day and Tyrese Chambers co-signed it. Uh, that is Kevin's uh, uh, style to a T. But no. Kevin, Kevin was Reed, old when this world was young. 1,000% undoubtedly true. Kevin wrote a feature on uh, Tyson Helton talking about the air raid, essentially that it, it is not the traditional air raid, and that's okay. And I, I mentioned that because, A, it's a great read. I hope everyone gets a chance to take a look at that. But, B, it really talks about that. This isn't the when you think of the air raid, right? You think of Houston back in the day before we were born, and then you think of Mike Leach and Texas Tech. And and yes, uh, that certainly is an air raid. But as most offenses and defenses and things evolve, right? You know, there'll be little spinoffs of it and little variations here and there. So for Austin Reed, a guy who played in a similar system, not necessarily in terms of you know apples to apples, what they'll be doing in Bowling Green, but there are some similarities. It, it, it's not, I guess in my mind, I don't think it'd be too much of a transition. What I am curious of, and I, I'm not looking to get into reckless speculation, Joe, but I, I am curious your take on this as our resident uh, Western guy. Your thoughts on the fact that it didn't work out seemingly with Jared Dagey. I guess I'm a little surprised again, not that Austin Reed isn't a talented player, but Jared Dagey, for folks who may not know, is the current active leader in passing yards and passing touchdowns for FBS players. So it just seemed to be a pretty seamless transition. The fact that that didn't work out uh, any surprise there on your part. Oh, for sure. You know, I, I think I use the verbiage on the underdog dynasty Twitter account as a little bit of a bombshell. I mean, just based on what we've seen from, from Jarrett Dagey, I mean, you know, granted it hasn't, you know, for whatever reason, there's been some issues at his previous two stops that have led him to Western Kentucky. So, you know, sometimes just a change of scenery is, is needed and he, he didn't feel comfortable. I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to speculate. And I wish I had, I had been able to be on the ground in Bowling Green for fall camp, but on paper, this seemed like a really good match based on what this offense had built itself into over the last two years. 
uh, what Jarrett Dagey showed at West Virginia and Bowling Green. And, you know, I, I really I don't know that it's I think it's just more a testament to Austin Reed more than anything. Like if you're able to come into camp and, you know, showcase, you know, the enthusiasm that he clearly has with his Ricky Bobby S quotes that were in the Bowling Green Daily News the other day. Um, as well as just the clearly there's a, some mobility that that folks are pretty um, high on. And, you know, I, he clearly has been able to build a rapport with with his teammates. And, you know, I know Tyson Helton has really avoided um, trying to say one guy was above the other throughout camp. But, you know, clearly there was there was something there in this guy's skill set that really had uh, Ben Arbuckle and, and company excited about. Um, you know, putting him in this offense and, and figuring out where to go from there. Yeah, no doubt about it. I know we have plenty of sound to pitch to, so I won't belabor this point too much. But I, I do think it's just, as you mentioned, kind of that, I don't want to say gunslinger mentality, but just, you know, let's say underdog mentality, right? No pun intended. A guy who comes from Division Two, you know, had to fight to get his way, uh, uh, you know, onto that team. And then, you know, breaks all kinds of records there at West Florida. So I think there's some kind of that, they call it moxie, right? Or, or maybe swags was a better thing. But yeah, I do think there is something to to, to read into that there. And and we'll see how it translates over in a bowling green. For sure. So here's a little bit of, uh, here's a couple cuts of uh, Western Kentucky's presser that I thought were interesting. And then um, also after that, um, we're going to toss to uh, my conversation with Coach Helton and uh, some of the offensive, uh, just a very brief uh, conversation that we had after the presser about some of the other weapons uh, at, at his disposal, including David Davis. Bartlett, uh, Matthew Bartlett with the Roost. Um, you mentioned some new faces. Uh, the transfer portal is a new uh, creature in, in college athletics today. How have you kind of approached that uh, in terms of team building and helping build your roster? Well, I think the transfer portal is a good thing. Let me start with that. I'm for the transfer portal. Uh, you know, I think it used in the right way. Uh, it, it can really benefit your team in, in a short amount of time. And I think back to us last year, our quarterback, Bailey Zappi, you know, was a, was a fantastic player. I thought he was the best quarterback in all of college football last year. You know, and I don't mind saying that. But, you know, it was an opportunity to, to get a guy and, and, and enter the portal, and, you know, he made our offense last year. So that's the good side of it. You know, the bad side of it is obviously you got to retain the players every year, and I think we've got a great culture at Western. Our, our guys want to be there. Uh, but it's just a part of the college football world we live in now. You know, you add NIL to it, I'm for NIL as well. You know, I, I use this example, I think there's – it's a wild, wild west right now. Everybody's going to the portal and the NIL and what are we doing and all that. You know, I look at it as we, instead of sticking our toe in the water to see what the temperature was, we jumped right in. You know, we're trying to adjust right now. But we will adjust. I do think when all the pieces come together, it will be a really good thing. I just, you know, like anything in college football, it takes time. And I think we'll look back in three or four years, we'll have this thing figured out. And it will make college football better. So to answer your question, I think portal's a good thing. I think NIL is a good thing. We just got to get the little, little guardrails on the road, if, if I say that. And I think we'll be in a good place. Question for you, Juwan. Um, I know off the field, you mentioned setting the example for the rest of your team. One of the things you do off the field, you're doing the special ed teaching thing in uh, Kentucky. Uh, talk about that experience and how you think that's you know helped make you a more well-rounded player. Uh, well, it was a, it's a great experience. It's very humbling, you know. And so you're just able to serve these kids and 
you know, they just, some, some kids, they just can't help. They're just born that way. And so you just have to be patient with them. They're just like everyone else. And so it just makes me like, you know, appreciate that the place I'm in in life and, you know, and things of that nature. And it just helps me, you know, become a better leader, be more patient with people. People, you know, go through things in life and things of that nature. And so it just helped me become, you know, a more well-rounded person. All right, uh, you guys are pretty deep at tight end. Obviously, you brought Joey, you got Joshua Simon. Talk about that position and what that kind of adds to the kind of offense you want to run this year. Yeah, you know, I've always been a guy that you got to have a tight end in the system. Um, you got to be multiple, multiple personnel. You know, when we lost Josh in the first game last year, you know, really talented player, kind of didn't know where we were headed with that. And then Joey did a fantastic job for us. And, and uh, so excited about where we are with that position. Um, you know, I love playing in two tight ends, 12 personnel sets, if you have the guys to do that. Yeah. And, again, I think you got to be multiple. So, you know, they'll play a huge part in what we do this year. Um, you just look at the best offenses in college football that, you know, they just, they're not sitting there in 10 personnel the whole game, four wides or whatever. They're, they're mixing it up and, and, you know, they're making defenses have to think. And so – big tight end guy and Western's always been tight in you you know I mean you look at some great NFL tight ends that have come through there so um, tight end position is really important to us for sure for sure um, on the defensive side of the ball you know talk about shoring up the middle of the field there with uh, your DTs and your front seven specifically yeah so you know we're, we're going to be a little more aggressive defensively this year you know new defense coordinator uh, a lot of new faces, both players and coaches. Um, but I like the style of play that we're playing. I think it's it forces the quarterback to have to make decisions. It forces the quarterback to have to beat you. And uh, so being a quarterback guy, that's how I want to play defense. And so I think you got to look again at your personnel. What do you have? How do you get the best 11 on the field? And I think what we're going to do defensively this year just fits us. And uh, I don't want to say it's a complete overhaul or a new scheme or any of that. It's just wrinkles here and there that I think fit us and our personnel that's going to help us. One more for you, Coach. You talked about Daywood Davis up there and kind of the you know big play capability he brings. What about his skill set makes him such a viable deep threat for you guys? Just the speed factor. You know, anytime you got a guy that can take the top off of it like he does, um, that, that's the X factor. And yeah. You always got to have one of your receivers have got to be that guy. He's got to be the deep threat so that it softens the coverage for all the other guys. And so that's why Daywood is so important because at any point in time, he can just run the post or go right past you and you could be in the right coverage but he's so dang fast so yeah. um so it helps as an offense it just softens that coverage and all those things so looking forward to big things out of day with this year for sure all right once again we want to thank uh, coach helton for his time um i do want to do a little self-promotion and talk about my profile of uh, juan jones fantastic human being and on top of being a really important part of what that defense is going to be as i believe coach helton mentioned in that soundbite in terms of shoring up the middle of the field to kind of plug it up there. Juwan Jones, not only is, I think, is he going to do a really nice job of filling the shoes of guys like D'Angelo Malone and some of the other important pieces uh, that they lost along that defensive line. He's so smart, uh, multiple time academic all American. And Eric, stay with me on this one. I want to give a shout out to my mother-in-law because she is a special education for a long time. She was a special education uh, teacher and principal 
in Kentucky, and I've seen her get to work with some of those kids that fall into that category. And the spark in her eyes when she gets to do that, I see the exact same kind of spark in Juwan's eyes when he talks about it. So I think he's going to have a fantastic career ahead of him whenever his playing career is done uh, as an educator and coach, as he talked about. Really stand-up guy. I was really happy he uh, gave me some time. Yeah, no, I mean, I really enjoyed hearing from Juwan Jones. I'll say I didn't get him one-on-one like you did, but I enjoyed hearing from him during the open media session. I will say this. If you had Joe's mother-in-law on your bingo card, you know, or, or your <laughs> or, or your drinking game, depending on how you choose to consume this podcast, you can obviously uh, mark that off now. Love you, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, who else we got? We can't not talk about UTSA. And I talked about him in the – COSA roundtable that probably has gone up by now. I would imagine so. Um, but they're my pick to win the league. I think it's going to be really close between them and UAB. I think UTSA just has like a little more on the offensive side of the ball. And it's really hard to ignore the kind of confidence that they have right now. Thanks to Jeff trailer and Eric, a bit I want to throw to here. Coach talked about it in his, in their presser. And I followed up with him about it later after lunch. Um, that you're going to hear in terms of building this roster. It's really impressive to me that he has managed to do it with so many San Antonio guys specifically and kind of that greater surrounding area in a time where it seems like a lot of coaches are trying to make their, their program kind of a national destination. I really appreciate kind of the grassroots approach that that trailer has taken into, you know, making his team, uh, a league champion last year, and I think a very strong contender for the title this year. Jeff, uh, just what's the excitement level headed into this season? Uh, it's high, but it's been high every year. You know, our very first year uh, together, you know, it was all new, and we didn't know each other, and we had no spring ball, so we were excited about that. And then we had the unique uh, deal last year where everybody was back, our entire team was back, so we had all of our starters back, uh, and that was exciting. Because obviously we were so familiar and we were so comfortable. And this year is kind of a blend of, of those three things all at once. Uh, we've got nine guys back on offense that are going on their third year to be starting for me. Uh, but we also lost, you know, three really great players in Leroy, Sincere, and Spencer. Uh, defensively, uh, you know, we've got some really good players back. But we lost a lot of really great players that are in the National Football League currently. And, uh, you know, Tariq, you know, fifth-round pick with Seattle. You know, we lost Clarence, who, you know, is with the Bengals. And uh, we could go on and on with the guys. We lost Chuck, you know, AP. We lost some of the players and those guys. So that's where we got to replace some players. Uh, and one person that gets kind of overlooked that we lost is Hunter Duplessis, uh, who's just, you know, automatic as a field goal kicker. But we've got some really good players returning. Uh, which is what makes this unique. It's going to be kind of a blended roster for the first time uh, this year. I know that's a long answer to a very short question, but that's how we feel. We're excited. Uh, Jerry Lee Willie Jr., the Kai Sports Report. Coach, with all the, the excitement of last season, what has, what has that brought to the community of San Antonio? How much it has it changed? The outlook of now you're going into the Alamo Dome, it doesn't look empty anymore. And we were blessed, right? Uh, our first press conference, December the 9th, 2019. And I came in there talking about we really wanted to be the football team of San Antonio. That was our vision. Uh, I didn't know Frank Harris, 
Rashad was on that well, and I knew of them from you know just knowing who they were through the ranks. Sincere McCormick, and I remember calling those guys in the very beginning and explaining you know our vision, and we really wanted to capture the city, and, and how lucky was I uh, that my quarterback was going to be from Clemens, the leader of my defense was going to be from Converse, that both those kids were going to buy into me so quickly. Uh, it's, it's been a blessing. I've said this a million times before. Uh, we'll look back one day uh, when UTSA is the fulfillment of what we see it as. And we will always look back at the leadership of Frank Harris and Rashad Wisdom and helping generate that excitement. Who couldn't love these two kids? What what city? Just, it just so happens we're the seventh largest city in the country. And uh, they love the Roadrunners. Who wouldn't love the Roadrunners? If, if I were a fan, I'd be cheering for Frank Harris and Rashad Wisdom. Start things off. One of the things you were talking about in your presser was being the football team in San Antonio, and really based on the sports discourse in town, it seems like you guys are the team, regardless of sport. And how do you kind of feel about that, like overtaking like teams like the Spurs and that sort of thing in terms of media attention? Well, it's just something we were very intentional about. Yeah. Now, obviously, we want to be the football team for UTSA, yeah. uh, but we have an incredible city. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a tremendous appetite for football there, and uh, we knew if we could play good football, yeah. our, our fans will reciprocate, and, and, and they've done that. It's been a, been a great two years. We want to keep that going in year three. Yeah. Um, so with Frank, you know, obviously he's a San Antonio kid. He talked about that a little bit. Um, this is going to be his last go around. You know, what's what's left to accomplish for him in your mind in terms of what you guys have done so far? His continual improvement. I mean, he just improved so much. And uh, he's a perfectionist. Yeah. And that's his greatest strength. It's also his greatest weakness because he, you know, he wants to be perfect all the time. But he just continues to get better every day. He has more confidence in the offense, more confidence in himself. Therefore, he plays better. So uh, just a continual chase of excellence, which all of us uh, need to have that until they, they, they put a six feet under. How do you coach perfectionists? Like you, you mentioned that, that obviously sometimes guys can kind of get lost and burn themselves out, but how do you handle that with Frank? Yeah, well, you just got to know what their greatest strengths are, and yeah. usually our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. That's, that's what's all of us, right? <laughs> and uh, so I just try to help him in that, yeah. and uh, it's just a next play mentality. Uh, if he makes a mistake, he didn't do it on purpose. I mean, let it go and let's bounce back from it. And that's, that's been the biggest thing for Frank is for me to make sure Frank talks to himself and doesn't listen to himself. Uh, he needs to make sure and breathe life into himself after a mistake, and he's just gotten better and better every game I've coached him. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about Zachary Franklin, actually. I mean, the guy's got great measurements, uh, played a lot, got good, great film. Seems like he's kind of underappreciated when you talk about draft prospects for this year. I mean, what do you think about that? I think he's a fantastic receiver. Sure. I mean, and I, ball's near him, he's going to catch it. And uh, really improved in his leadership skills. Single-digit guy for us now, where's number four. Mm-hmm. And uh, expecting another big year from Zakari. Awesome. Uh, last one for you. So you're still pretty involved in the Texas High School Football Coaches Association. Uh, it seems like there's not that many coaches nationwide that are still that heavily involved as you are in their state association. So what does that do for you, and why is that a priority for you to stay involved in that? That's just who I am. That's where I'm from. That's where I learned how to coach. That's where I learned everything that I know about coaching. Yeah. And uh, old Joe Martin and Glenn West, those guys do a great job, you know, from D.W. Rutledge starting that thing. They just do a great job of teaching coaches. And it's not just football, basketball, you know, volleyball, baseball, softball. They, they really do try to help. All of us understand that there's a greater calling than just winning ball games. It's, it's being a mentor for these young men and women. And I'll always be forever grateful that THSCA 
certainly makes sense. All right, so we heard from uh, Coach Trailer there. Um, Eric, I'm curious your thoughts on, on UTSA and, and anything you want to throw into the uh, the conversation surrounding the Roadrunners for 2022 here. Listen, we've talked about UTSA for the better part of the past 18 months as far as what they're building there with Jeff Trailer, Lisa Compost and company as far as, A, getting him locked up, B, getting Lisa Compost locked up, C, getting the athletic facilities up to spar, uh, up to, <laughs> up to spar, uh, up to par. Um, I was going to up to speed and up to par, up to par. That's crucial. But the point that you touched on there and the point that sound touched on there, I think is really key. Right. And, you know, I will toss it back to you in the form of a question. I cover a program in FIU where the entire basis of what the program should be is kind of built upon two things. One, a massive student population in terms of student body, UTSA, while not quite as massive as FIU, can was a sizable student population, and B, probably more importantly as far as on the field, the fact that they're in a recruiting hotbed in Texas, right, being one of the major cities in San Antonio. And I'm not sliding Frank Wilson at all because anyone who followed the program when Frank Wilson was the head coach, recruiting was never his issue. It was, you know, kind of getting the most out of that talent on game days. But he managed to recruit uh, pretty well at UTSA. If my memory serves me correct, Joe, I got to go back. I believe Frank Wilson recruited or, or signed Frank Harris. Yeah, because this should be Jeff Trailer's third year. So he signed uh, Rashad Wisdom. Uh, you, you can check this on the fly, but I believe it was part of Frank Wilson's class. Got the Rashad Wisdoms and Sincere McCormick's and Frank Harris's, right? But, but, but to spin it to the sound you just played, there's something in my mind about being able to recruit your region, your area. You know, you can go back to the throwback days at the University of Miami. They call it the state of Miami, right? You know, kind of that that three-hour radius from campus that they want to you know, kind of corner off as theirs. Now, of course, it's not the 1980s anymore. There are more programs in the state of Florida, certainly more programs in the state of Texas. But I think there is something really unique, something really special, um, especially being a group of five program that you've decided to corner off and say, hey, we want to make San Antonio our region our area. You're not going to get every kid from San Antonio, but if we can get 50, 60% of our targets from this area, right? The Judsons and, and, you know, kind of those local areas, they're going to be all right. And it, it clearly it's worked, you know, talking about Jeff trailer, who is a local Texas high school legend. He certainly has the juice there in, in, in San Antonio in the state of Texas to walk around and kind of get those kids and make it a hometown thing. I think that's very key. So uh, and, and, and Joe, we've seen this before, right, with high school coaches getting that college job. But I, I think there's something specific to Jeff Trailer taking the job. I mean, maybe the closest thing is, is um, come on, North Texas, Riley Dodge. Um, uh, I'm forgetting his dad's name uh, at North Texas, you know, who 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 had the um, Todd Dodge. Thank you. Todd Dodge, I believe it was South Lake Carroll. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, you tried it there, didn't necessarily work to a measure of success. But with Jeff Trailer, his ability to really kind of recruit and sign these kids and really build this program so special. Yeah, it's, it's it's extremely noticeable when you have, you know, the, the personalities that they have up there and guys like Frank Harris and Rashad Wisdom and the rest of, of the folks on that team who just gel so instantly with, with someone like Trailer. And obviously winning helps. Let's not let's not get it wrong there. But clearly I, I just I don't know. I just admire the way that trailer has kind of uh, stayed grounded in knowing that like I don't know. I, I'm not saying 
there's a right way or a wrong way to build your program because clearly we've seen both of these approaches work before uh, historically in college football but uh, there's clearly something to uh, being tied so strongly to an area that instilled your coaching philosophy the way that east texas did for jeff trailer and you know staying within that area and staying within that geographic radius to really try and make your program something special um and as far as just us continuing to harp on UTSA, look, if they keep clicking the site, we'll keep talking about UTSA. I, I'm not going to complain about that. <laughs> Joe, you're not supposed to admit that part on here. Ah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think I think they have a good team. Um, and I think UAB is a very close second. I was really excited to hear from Brian Vincent, and uh, we can jump into them a little bit um, here. I did not realize Coach Vincent was originally from Kentucky, and I had questions for him that I wanted to ask about bourbon and ponies and whatnot. But um, you know, they they had a tight schedule, so I, we didn't really get a, a lot of time to to spend with them. But one thing that really stuck out to me about Vincent's uh, media availability here was he has made it very clear that he very much wants that interim tag taken off at the end of the year. He very much wants to secede. Uh, Bill Clark, and hopefully continue uh, this path that UAB's on to you know become the next like G five program that really makes a huge splash nationally. He he wants that to happen for himself very much, and he doesn't view that. He to me he clearly doesn't view this job this year as the interim guy as a springboard. This is his opportunity to show that he you know can be the next Bill Clark, which I don't know if he'll be successful. But clearly, that's his goal, and that should be encouraging for UAB, uh, UAB folks. Number one, I, I definitely want the interim tag taken off. It, it is a goal and a dream of mine to be the U, to be the head coach at the University of Alabama Birmingham. Um, I'm just curious your feelings on being prepared for this role on short notice. Absolutely, you know, I, I'm more than ready for this situation, for this opportunity. I've been a head coach in the state of Alabama at the high school level for five years. You know. I had the opportunity to turn two programs around in Greenville High School and Spanish Ford High School. Um, I've been the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach at UAB. I was the offensive coordinator in 14 with Coach Clark in his first season. I was a part of the West Championship in 18, 19, and 20, the Conference Championship in 18 and 20. The only two bowl wins in UAB history. I worked hand-in-hand with Coach Clark uh, every year that I've been here. And I'm, I'm more than ready for this opportunity because it's about leading men. Um, that's one of the, the things that God blessed me with was leadership ability and be able to relate to kids and be able to lead them on and off the field. Uh, you know, you got to be yourself. Uh, obviously, there will be things that you know Clark uh, has laid in this foundation that I think you all will continue to do. But uh, you know, what's the you know what what will be the Vincent touch to this team this year? You know, what are the things that we may see different that you know that's going to be a part of you and uh, your personality? I mean, everybody's got to be themselves, and I'm definitely going to be me. One thing that you'll see is, you know, the expectations are still the expectations. The standards are still the standards. It's my job as the head football coach to continue to elevate those standards. One thing that, that UAB football teams have always prided themselves on is how hard we play, how hard we work in playing together. I think you'll see a team this year that truly loves each other, that truly plays for each other, and will go from the very beginning to the end.
and hopefully what I'm talking about there comes off in that clip. But, you know, Eric, what do you think of UAB's chances to, uh, you know, contend once again for the title this year? Yeah, really quick, Joe. I, I want to quickly touch on the point you made about Brian Vincent. And I had listen, this is no slide on Coach Vincent, but I think it's more of an indicator or a reflection of the UAB program. Who wouldn't want to have this be their end game? You know, who wouldn't want to, especially with the trajectory of where they're going to the American. And then you look at Brian Vincent's history, you know, come from South Alabama and then getting this job. This is and we've talked about it on previous podcasts. It's a premier group of five head coaching gig. So to go from West Alabama to Greenville, Alabama, Greenville High to Spanish Fort High, which I wonder if that's how they Spanish Fort. Oh, man, you would be running back with some Spanish Fort. I'll have to come back to that. It's either, either UAB or Alabama running back with that Spanish Fort. I wonder if he coached him. Nevertheless, Spanish Fort's a very good program. Yes. Right, right, undoubtedly. And he was a former head coach from 2007 to 2010. You go to South Alabama, UAB, back to South Alabama, and now UAB. Yeah, I, I, I can absolutely see why Brian Vincent, and I, I kind of felt that he was walking around like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm the guy. Uh, that's a lot to take in in a short span of time. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you and, and you know, concur you kind of your. Your sentiment there, but in talking about UAB and expectations, I've done some media in the past few weeks, and a lot of people want to point to Bill Clark leaving, and they point to that as a reason to downgrade the Blazers in terms of their conference title hopes. I don't see that as a reason at all. That's not to at all minimize Bill Clark's impact as a head coach. I mean, he's one of the founding reasons that this program was built, uh, at least the second incarnation of it, right? But I think there's enough talent on this year's team to why to where the expectations should be as such, especially Dwayne McBride in that defense. So you ask me, what do I think they'll do? I, I think they'll be there in the stretch with UTSA, and I and I think the expectations should be there as well. I don't think that because Brian Vincent is the head coach now, you should you know back off of a, a win or two and think, all right, you know, a seven win year is is quite frankly acceptable. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, as much as I hate to boil it down to this, it. it has it really feels like in terms of contention for the title it's utsa uab and then everybody else i do think there's going to be some other teams that you know make things interesting in the, in that three to four spot uh in the league when it comes down the stretch there but ultimately i feel strongly that it's going to be utsa and uab in the uh, title game again but in terms of surprise teams I don't know if it's a surprise anymore because we've talked about it an awful lot the last couple of weeks, Eric, but I I really think UTEP have a really strong chance of sneaking into that top four in the league, if that makes sense. I put it in the roundtable again. I'm going to continue to plug that. I think there's a decent chance they reach October with a three and two record. And then they have uh, some very winnable games in the back half of the year. I, I think making a bowl game this year is very attainable. And I think an eight win season is relatively attainable. But, uh, you know, your thoughts there before we before we get into UTEP more. Joe, I was a little bit along the kind of thinking of yours during the offseason. But the more I dove into UTEP, the more I dove into that defense. And we'll talk about it in a bit, you know, a large part of that defense his eligibility is in question in terms of whether he'll get, uh, you know, be able to play this year, depending on the NCAA. But if they get everybody from that defense, Breonna Hayward, Tyrus Knight, Praise Amahule, just those three alone, Joe, we're talking about two linebackers who are 100 tackle guys who play on the other side of the line of scrimmage, which is a big 
measure for me when assessing the linebackers. You know, a lot of guys can make 100 tackles when you're three, four or five yards up the back, up the, you know, the, the second level, right into the defense. It's another thing to do that. And you've got seven, eight, nine and a half tackles for loss in a season, a couple sacks. That's what both of those guys can do. I didn't even mention Jadrian Taylor, who appears to be a, an emerging player, emerging piece on the other side of praise Amahule. So just those four guys alone, Joe, those are four of the top defensive players in Conference USA. Quietly, I know we've talked a lot about the run game, a lot about Ronald Awad, a lot about Deion Hankins, a lot about Gavin Hardison. And then, of course, the two receivers last year, Jacob Kong and Justin Garrett, both of them are gone, but we talked a lot about them last year. They've very quietly built an excellent defense, one that should be among the tops in group of five football. So I'm saying all that to say this. You say that you think a bowl game should be the expectation and then um, you know seven, eight wins is, is attainable. In my mind, if they can hit on all cylinders, if Gavin Hardison can take the next step, if they have all the players there that we that I mentioned who are who are eligible, if you get Ronald Awat, you get Deion Hankins, you get Reynaldo Flores, you know guys who who are talented players, and I, I know they're pretty high on Keenan Stewart as well, and, and also Tyron Smith as receiver is going to you know step into a more starting uh, a starting role. Excuse me. If all those things hit, I think UTEP is going to be right there with UAB and UTSA in terms of competing for a conference title, in my opinion. They'll certainly get the chance to show that. And, you know, I, I think we have a few bits from both Gavin Hardison and Praise Amahule to throw to here. Uh, those guys obviously were um, around for CUSA Media Day. Um, I don't think anybody on our team really had the opportunity to chat with them one-on-one. -on -one. Again, a lot of these teams at Media Day, unfortunately, just had really tight schedules. So we didn't get a chance to, you know, chat intimately with everybody that we wanted to, but we certainly appreciate their time. And I know I asked Gavin Hardison about what it would mean to him to go up against teams from uh, his home state of New Mexico here. Uh, you're a New Mexico guy. You got two games against New Mexico teams this year. I'm just curious what your thoughts are going up against, uh, you know, the teams you, I assume grew up watching or paying attention to. Recently. I mean, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's good, it's good experience for me, you know, going up, going up around that area and stuff. But, you know, for, for me personally, I just try to take it a week at a time. And, you know, when that week comes, and I'll focus on those games. Coach Eric Henry, SB Nation, want to kind of piggyback off what you just mentioned there about building depth. When you took over the program, obviously relied heavily on the JUCOs and transfers. Where do you feel you're at now, you know, entering this year as far as truly having depth on your roster and not needing to kind of insert guys and plug and play immediately? Yeah, I think you hit it, you know, right on the head there. We're putting good on good now. You know, that's how we say it. It's a lot different when you're putting good on good and you can really tweak the positions where you need to get better. And so we feel like we found our niche, you know, and I think that's always an important thing when you take over a program is you have to learn the culture of the university and what fits in that, at that university. And so we found our niche. It's been a niche that we've been – comfortable with in the past other places I've been with the junior college players and then getting you know really good high school players as well you know we have a really good high school player in praise that's here with me today Gavin who's a junior college player we've done a really good job of, of doing both I feel like they fit UTEP and, and can get them do well there and so for us right now it's just developing that depth and, and to me that depth is there because the athleticism is there, but we need those guys now to accelerate their pace of play. One quick follow-up. I was wondering if you could talk about the development of your quarterback. Obviously, starting out backing up Kyle Loxley, and now you know with his third year as a starter, you talk about his development. Yeah, for in our system, you know, we have a very expansive system. It's a system that's been in place since the University of Iowa, I and mean, it goes way back. 
and we started in Kansas State and just continue to tweak it. You know, it's been a system that can throw the ball well if we need to, a system that can run the ball well, it's a system that can run the quarterback well. It just depends what your talent set is. And so what we do each year is, is identify what the talent of our football team is. And so this year, with Gavin coming back, he's able to get us with experience at our quarterback position, he's able to get us into plays at the line of scrimmage. Scrim. He has complete freedom to check any play he needs to check. And so that's where that's where his game will really start to show itself this year. He'll start to do a better job of, you know, he's done a much better job of throughout camp and throughout the spring of recognizing defenses and getting us into the things we need to get into. So he has complete autonomy to do that. And then uh, coming back from that, uh, Eric, we talked about Praise Amahule at CUSA Media Day as well, but He's a physically imposing figure. <laughs> he, he looked like he was ready to strap the helmet on right away. Here's a couple bits from him about how ready he is for the 2022 season. And, uh, for Praise, uh, this is a, a conference that uh, had a lot of good offenses, broke a lot of good points. Um, how exciting is it for you um, to uh, kind of build on last season a couple sacks and, and take that next step and go up against, you know, some guys that are going to try and throw all over the yard? That's very exciting just being able to just pass your support back and then just the things we do as a deep, defensive line, not just as a defense as a whole, gives us a chance to go out there and just create plays. So our plan is just to go out there and just cause turnovers and just wreak havoc in the quarterback. You know, you know, we'll get a chance to do that. Just go out there and third downs, third and longs, and the first, first, first and ten, probably going to be a run. But maybe second and long, third and long, just to be able to just go out there and unleash the pass rush and try to just create turnovers off the line. You know? All right. And as we wrap up the CUSA discussion, I, you know, I just, I just want to make a note here. Breon Hayward, you mentioned he is waiting on a decision uh, from the NCAA regarding a six year of eligibility for him. And that is frustrating to hear from me because this guy hasn't been able to practice. So like, what are you doing if you're the NCAA and you're like running this close against the wire? Like, I don't know, with, with the amount of resources the NCAA has, this these kind of situations should not be happening. At the very least, a decision should have been made months ago. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, naturally, I am an optimist. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. So it, part of me wants to say, you know, maybe his situation is one that is super nuanced. But at the same point in time, as you mentioned, UTEP plays on week zero. That's in, in this day and age, incredulous to me. You know, speaking of surprise teams, I think a few other people have North Texas in that category as well. You know, I, I don't personally. I I think they'll I think they'll make a bowl game. I think they'll about just about do what they did last season. Um, but you know, they they obviously have some interesting pieces. We heard from Katie Davis a little bit at CUSA Media Day, uh, another imposing presence. Um, he was fantastic last season. I have no reason to think he won't be fantastic again this season. Um, and he is going to be, again, an incredibly important piece of what they are trying to do if they want to do better than what they were last season, which was uh, ultimately making a bowl game and losing after starting one and five, which it's impressive to win six games in a row. but you know, I, I can't say there's many coaches in America who would envy being in being one and five and having your back up against the wall that uh, that forcefully. Yeah, Joe, you know, again here, uh, I, I know it's been a long time since we you know uh, disagreed a ton. I think we spent the majority of last year agreeing on so many so many things. I, I'm a little bit uh, opposite of you here. Right. Especially when you take a look at that schedule games with Texas Southern, UNLV, FIU, Rice. Louisiana Tech. I think I just named five wins right there. 
then you have Western Kentucky, um, UTEP, looking here, you know, Memphis. Uh, maybe Memphis isn't a toss-up, but I'd put those other two in terms of toss-up toss-up uh, games there. But the big thing, and Joe, I don't know if you saw this or not, uh, our good friend Brett Vito from the Denton Record Chronicle, it, it appears if Austin Ani is going to be the guy, and I think we talked about this a little bit on a previous podcast, my opinion was for this team to have a higher ceiling than maybe seven wins or so, maybe eight, um, but let, let's go with seven. I felt that you had to tap into one of the quarterbacks, Grant Gunnell or Chase Reuter, who maybe has more of the physical attributes, right? Austin Ani, we know he's that steady guy. Uh, definitely not going to lose the game for you. Probably not going to win it either. It kind of reminds me of, I'll give you a throwback reference, A.J. Ergley. And I, I think there's enough there with a running game that, again, Joe, very sneakily rushed for over 3,000 yards last year. That's a hell of a number. I think there's room for them to to win some games again. I think I named five games right there that should be winnable, and they have one of the top players in Conference USA, especially on the defensive side in KD Davis. So I don't know. I think with Austin Ani, it's a safe route. He's not going to lose it for you, and you know that you can lean on that rushing game and maybe get you know something out of Jay Macklin. I believe Jay Macklin, if members are correct, is the younger brother of Jeremy Macklin. I'm not sure if it's a brother or cousin, but I know there is a relation there. And then Jair Shorter as well. We'll see what happens, but no, I, I'm a little higher than uh, higher on North Texas than you are. I, I think this should definitely be a bowl team this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of what I thought I said. I, I do think they'll get to six wins. I think all those games that you mentioned are very winnable for them. I think that six win mark is right there for the taking. Um, I think they run into some some situations where, like I said, they they have UAB and UTSA both on the schedule. Um, I I think. Their second, like their secondary is good, but obviously there's some tougher receiving cores in there as well. Um, and then, you know, w- let's not forget they have, you know, Memphis on their schedule, SMU, two very tough teams as well. But yeah, you know, I think they will be a little less, uh, what's the word? Not unreliable, but I don't know. I, I think they'll be a steadier team this year. I-, I think they'll maintain that same, you know, pretty decent quality of play throughout the year uh whereas like last year i think at the very start of the year they were very bad um and then you know kind of kicked it into gear enough to reach that mark last season at at the very end um but this year i I think they'll have their head on straight when the season begins and and do what they need to do and and not have to just like play absolutely out of their minds in order to have um you know at the end of the day a kind of a mediocre record but let's talk about louisiana tech a little bit you know, it's one of those things where I can't say my expectations for Tech this year are particularly high, but as we've talked about, I think the future is pretty bright for them. I think when you look at what CUSA will be in 2023 and beyond, Tech has a, an opportunity to be amongst kind of the, the best of the rest, for lack of a better term. And the energy that was on display for the Bulldogs at Media Day was encouraging, Sonny Cumbie seems like he has, um, you know, he has everybody in a really good headspace. Um, you know, both the, both the linemen that he brought um, were in good spirits as well. I enjoyed talking to them. Um, but ultimately, I think we're going to see them throw the ball a lot more and try to, you know, really, I think Sonny Cumbie has the benefit of, I don't want to call it a year zero, if you're following me on that term, but I think he's going to have the leeway that 
could be useful for him this year. Similar to, um, if, if I can throw a Pacific Northwest reference in here, similar to what Jonathan Smith had at Oregon State. You know, when he came in, uh, no one really expected them to really make a lot of noise in his first year, and they didn't. I think they won one or two games. But now they're in a team where folks have them in the preseason top 25. And I think in, you know, two, two and a half, two, three years, I think Louisiana Tech could be in the same boat. I, I really like the energy that Sunday Cumbie's bringing into that room right now. What do you think about that? Again, we'll have a slight disagreement. It's not that I think that Sonny Cumbie won't have an issue getting this team up to speed. It's just that last note right there where you said kind of two and a half, three years. I don't think this team is a two and a half to three year project. I, I think if you want to make the argument, you could say the team I cover is a two and a half or three year project. And even there, I, I think they'll you know be closer to the two side of things. Joe, the reason I, I say this is you look at Skip Holt's tenure at Louisiana Tech. He was a consistent winner for the better part of a decade. The last few years, you have a COVID year, which definitely hum, hamstrung a, a ton of teams. And then last year was the really the rare year that they just weren't good from start to finish. And even some of those games, I believe they had two or three losses, Joe, that were by a score. And you can say that about a lot of teams, but with Louisiana Tech, the big thing was just quarterback play, kind of awesome. Kendall, you know, he got banged up a little bit, you know, kind of getting that running game. That was uh, not what you thought it'd be with Marcus Williams Jr. and whatnot. But in my mind, Joe, I think they won't be good this year, and that's because of the drastic shift in offense. And with that, you got to find a quarterback and engineer. Is it going to be Matthew Downing or is it going to be someone else, right? You know, Landry Liddy, uh, I believe Landry Lee, I want to say, is one of the top, uh, one of the more highly rated uh, recruits out of Louisiana. So is it going to be one of those guys? You know, time will tell. But I think once this offense falls into play, and I think having a guy like Smoke Harris, I think Smoke Harris is made for this offense. Can they, you know, get something out of Devontae Lee, the former five-star recruit at uh, LSU? That's going to be key as well. You know, does he – he's a big guy, Joe, like 6'1", 6'2", in that 225, 230 range. Is, is he a tight end? Is he a receiver in that offense? Who knows? But uh, what will they get out of him? From there, in my mind, once you get that squared away, I think this is a bowl team next year. This year, a little bit tough. Again, games at Missouri, at Clemson certainly aren't helping your uh, your cause there. South Alabama, that, that'll be a tough little road game there see what happens. But no, I, I don't think it's a two and a half or three year project. I, I think year one will be that, you know, level setting year. Then year two, I think they'll be back in contention. Yeah, I talked to Cumbie a little bit. He gave me a few minutes here. And uh, I also asked him about, um, when, shortly after we we interviewed him, we talked about just that that head of hair, man, I'm jealous. Um, but I, I asked him about uh, the hair care routine there too. If uh, All right, let's check this out from him. You get Jacob Barnes name to the Groza watch list yeah, like yeah, two hours ago. Yeah. What do you expect from him this year? You know, Jacob is, uh, you know, he's very consistent. The guy's a pilot, so there's not too many situations that come up, I think, in football that'll, yeah. that'll uh, stir him or rattle his cages. And so sure. um, he's very consistent. I think he's probably gotten a little stronger. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully he can add, you know, you know, four to five yards in terms of his length. Um, but very consistent, and I think he's very steady. And a lot of the kickers that I've been around in my career that have been um, guys in that mold, um, he has a lot of those similarities. You know, I don't think there's a moment that's too big for him, and he doesn't get rattled. And um, you know, he, he's pretty good at what he does. And I think he has a lot of joy in, in coming out and practicing every day. Good to hear. We, our staff was messing around the other day. We were talking about best heads of hair in Conference USA among the coaches. You won handsomely, so I'm just curious. Okay, what's, the, what's the hair care routine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty. Simple. Simple. It's it's the you know you, you get up in the morning and you take a shower and you just kind of go about the day. So yeah, yeah there's no 
no products or anything like that for me. So no shampoo nil deal. For no, you in the no, no, I don't think so. Yeah, all right, yeah. Perfect. All right, well, yeah. thank you, Coach. Yeah, really thanks, Joe. Appreciate yeah. it. Man. Yeah. yeah. And uh, before we close the book on Louisiana Tech, I want to talk about that defense a little bit. For folks that have followed Louisiana Tech the last couple of years, they've been very good at developing pass rushers. Uh, obviously, Jalen Ferguson is kind of the gold standard, but there's been you know several others that fall into that category as well. And you know they brought Kiwi Rose, who's going to be in a similar role this year. And um, <laughs> clearly, being in front of a camera and being in front of a microphone was something very new to Kiwi. And I asked him about that. And, uh, you know, had a little had a little laugh with him, but did ask him about, you know, developing as a pass rusher and, and what being uh, there at Louisiana Tech in that position means to him. Pass rushers have obviously been like something you guys have done really well in developing. Obviously, Jalen's the one that stands out. What's that process like for you to be in that role now? I feel like it's still there. We, uh, we just live up to the, what their hype was about. Um, being a great delimited for number one is it really holds up well at Tech, and uh, I feel like we just do whatever we got to do to be just like them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Sorry, your eyes light up a little bit when you got questions. You enjoy being up here today? I did, I did enjoy being up here. I'm just a little nervous and sure. all that. Uh, I'm not really just talking a lot, <laughs> especially with cameras and all that stuff. So sure. it was just interesting just being here for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Any, uh, as the pass rusher, any offensive lines that you going up against this year that you think are particularly formidable or you're looking forward to the challenge, anything like that? I feel like, obviously, Clinton and Missouri, uh, when we go against Marshall, UTSA, they always have a good offensive line. So living up to that challenge and doing well against them teams would be good. Okay. Came here with Josh today. What's the difference between what the the O-line, you know, strength conditioning program looks like versus the D-line at Tech right now? I feel like it's the same. Um, We all trying to get stronger and faster as big guys, so uh, we we all do the same thing. Everybody moves the same, you know. So we formally do the same thing when we play in in the game. So same thing. All right, let's uh, let's jump into some FAU talk here. Uh, got to hear from Willie Taggart as well as TJ Young and Nikosi Perry at Media Days, and one of the things that came up that I thought was particularly interesting for uh, Coach Taggart was the growth of Nikosi Perry and the rest of those team leaders on his uh, in his group here and kind of the differences in the ways that he's approached getting them to really reach their full potential this year, given how last season went for them. Um, you know, Eric, you know, I, I know you had a couple questions for Coach in that regard, and I'm curious what you thought of his responses. Yeah, Joe, I was really looking forward, and that's not to say that I wasn't looking forward to hearing from all the teams, but I was really looking forward to hearing from Willie Taggart. I mean, I, I mentioned this on the podcast that we recorded with him, and again, want to thank the folks at FAU, Katrina McCormick, um, Julie Reed for helping get Coach Taggart available, but I was really looking forward to talk with him, especially given the way things ended down the stretch of last year, and we talked about that on the podcast, and also, and this is a question I asked him, his running back rotation, I believe I asked it to him there and I asked him on the podcast because Joe, and I do want your thoughts on this. When you got a stable of running backs and, you know, you can go back to, I believe it was the 2019 season, Malcolm Davidson led Conference USA in rushing yards per carry with something like 6.8 yards, uh, looked to be the next great running back in CUSA. Of course, you know, things haven't panned out for him, had some injuries and whatnot, and he's transferred elsewhere. But you have him, you have Larry McCammon from a, 
powerhouse in Alabama and Hoover High, of course, you know, made famous by two a days. People of our age range should be familiar with good old Rush Bros and two a days Hoover High. But he's a talented running back as well. Then you bring in Johnny Ford. I was just really curious in my mind, Joe, the challenge it was to you know kind of handle that running back rotation because it felt at times some guys just got lost in the shuffle. And to be fair, um, Joe, I think one thing that I didn't account for is just a matter of that's not to say that we know Coach Taggart's players better than him, but we were more familiar with some of these players than he was. You know, of course, he ended up coaching him up and was able to make his own assessment as far as where they fell in his scheme. But maybe it was a little bit, I don't want to say presumptuous, but uh, put it to you this way, Joe. I think what I'm saying is he had to take time to learn the guys on his roster. So for, you know, guys like us to just assume that, all right, he knows he's got four running backs that can do this and, and, you know, these guys here and these guys there, you know, that might be what Lane Kiffin thought of the talent, but Willie Taggart has to come in and, he, and he's allowed that right as the coach to come in, make his own assessment and decide, you know, how he sees fit to distribute the carries or distribute playing time amongst his entire roster. So just really interested to kind of talk about those things. And also, of course, talk about his defensive standouts and TJ Young and Big Slim as he called him at the uh, CSA Media Days, defensive tackle Evan Anderson, both of whom made my top 35 players in Conference USA. So really enjoyed talking with him on the, talking with him on the podcast and enjoyed talking with him there at Media Days as well. And uh, I, I know he ended our podcast the same way, but it's one of those things that I want our listeners to kind of get a chance to, you know, to get a feel for Coach Taggart. Mm-hmm. Joe, I know this stood out to you, the way he ended his presser. You know, he hugged both of those guys, TJ Young and, and Nikosi Perry, and said, you know, have a good day if you want to. It seems as if Willie Taggart, you know, it really is enjoying uh, being around these guys, enjoying this team. And I think that'll manifest itself in my mind as a, as a really solid year for Florida Atlantic on the field. Yeah, I tend to agree. And, you know, before before we get too deep into it, let's let's play this clip from uh, CUSA Media Day where uh, Coach Taggart talks about specifically kind of the development of Nikosi Perry and the rest of kind of the veteran leaders on that team from, you know, 2021 to 2022. Oh, it's, it's very important when you talk about consistency, you know, and then when you can have your quarterback back, the, uh, back to back, you don't get any better than that. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, seeing the growth of the coach this offseason and the work that he put in, it's night and day from the time he got here, you know, and, and when he's like that, everybody else is going to follow him, and, and they've been following him. And tell you the great thing about it, I see him in the office every day, and he always have another player with him to come up and watch them, and that was that's totally different than what uh, we've, we've seen around there, but it's, it's made our football team better. All right, coming back from that clip, you, you can kind of hear um, that Coach Taggart seems really excited about you know where the mindset of his team is heading into this year, and that's certainly encouraging if you're an FAU fan. And I'll, I'll give Willie Taggart this. Throughout his career, he definitely has nailed this mindset of like focusing on the present, I obviously I don't you know not every opportunity for him has gone the way he would like it but I he and also just based on last year based on our conversation with him um when we had him on the podcast and as well as what he had to say at media day he clearly understands how important this year is from an optic standpoint. And you can hear that at multiple points um, in um, uh, this clip that I'm going to play for you. That's a little bit longer where he, you know, talks about um, 
getting these guys to just take things one day at a time. And if you'll listen, you know, I I don't want to I don't want to razz anybody, but he literally says win the day, which if you'll remember was his slogan at Oregon, which is just a thing that happened. I'm not going to say anything else. Um, but here's here's Coach Taggart talking about um, taking things one game at a time. Learn from your team at the end of last season, and how does that kind of change you, 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 how you approach uh, you know the program going forward and what's what's different? Well, I think you, you look at it all. I mean, you look at right now where you were and why we're that way, and then you look at the overall picture of, of your program and, and why you're there, and then the things that you need to do to in order to get where you want to be as a program. And again, the first two years of COVID year, um, that was tough for everyone. It was tough coming in, understanding your team when you didn't have them in the spring and trying to learn and trying to develop. Our guys didn't have a weight room. I was always worried about why we look smaller than every team in our conference. You know, and and, and now seeing our guys much bigger, much stronger, um, and being able to recruit guys in here, uh, recruit depth. You know, I think that was a big part of it, not having enough competitive depth to to, um, to last the entire football season. You know, uh, we started off fast and, and it kind of fell off at the end. And I think having more competitive depth is, is really going to help that. But also uh, doing a good job of coaching, coaching our guys uh, the right way and putting them in a position to, to make plays and then holding our players accountable to doing the things that they said they wanted to do when they decided to come to FA. They all want to win a championship. They all want to be great players. They all want to go to the league. Well, hold them accountable to doing the things day by day to get there. I thought so much in the past, we focused so much on winning the championship, winning the championship, and that's the ultimate goal, you know, but uh, we, we skip the process of what it takes to win the championship. And it's really important. We've been focusing a lot on our team day by day, just winning that day, to focusing on that day and doing the things that's going to take in order to to win a championship when time comes. All right, so there's that. And like you said, Eric, I think FAU definitely has the potential to be one of those teams that ends in the top four of CUSA. Um, Certainly have a tough schedule, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing you you mentioned there as far as the optics, you know, I hope that's not a huge concern for for Coach Taggart. I mean, of course, you want to win. And in my mind, if you win, that controls the optics of everything. But I only mention that is, you know, regular listeners of this podcast know that I've talked about the Willie Taggart situation. I, I don't think whatever the optics are about him as a coach and his coaching ability or coaching stops or whatever you want to say, I, I don't think that is, <laughs> listen, I've made this analogy before. Lane Kiffin's had a whole, a whole lot of stops too. And the optics around Lane Kiffin were different than they were around Willie Taggart. I'm just saying those are two coaches who've had stops. So essentially, he can't control the optics. He can control the winning. That's the thing that Lane Kiffin did at Florida Atlantic, two conference titles in three years. In my mind, if Willie Taggart does that, then you know he isn't necessarily looked at as some you know college ball vagabond as, as maybe some people may perceive him to be now. That's a solid point. And with, with that, let's jump to the other side of the Shula Bowl rivalry and. When we heard from Coach Mike McIntyre at CUSA Media Days, he talked a lot about wanting to see how the pieces of his team fit together in fall camp, you know, when they go full contact and that sort of thing. And before we jump to his town by Eric, you've been at fall camp for the vast majority of, you know, FIU's practice time. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on how that's going. In my mind, Joe, 
the few things have stood out to me. One, the energy around this team. Now, they did have a slight hiccup the first day they were in pads. Mike McIntyre, you know, paused the practice about midway through just to emphasize to them again the 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 practice habits it will take to not go one and eleven to make an improvement and to rebuild this team and that's what any good coach would do but for the most part they've been super energetic especially on day one I think you could just see how eager these guys are to put last year behind them and with that being said Joe uh, it's only about I mean I haven't done the math I haven't crunched numbers just yet but it's something like you know fifty something percent of the roster that was there last year. Uh, a lot of new faces between freshmen and transfers and whatnot. And I think that in itself also breeds optimism because they don't have the uh, weight, the the monkey on the back of going one and 17 since Miami and having not won an FBS game since Miami in 2019, having not won a road game since 2018. They don't, they don't have that monkey on the back. As a matter of fact, there's only four players on the roster who remain from the 2018 season in which they they won a program record nine games, right? So uh, it totally a lot of new faces, and I think that translated through. The second thing in my mind is this is going to be a reclamation project. You know, this is going to take time. You, know, you can see the talent in certain areas, but, you know, maybe not enough bodies just yet. And for listeners who may not know this, I know I've mentioned it before, but I'll emphasize it again. If you look at the recruiting classes, 2018 through 2021, the last four recruiting classes, but in specificity, that 18 and 19 class, those are your players who would be your seniors and redshirt juniors and whatnot. Of course, the COVID year kind of throws it all out of whack, you know, but essentially that would be your veteran veteran leadership on the team. The majority of those recruiting classes aren't at FIU anymore. Players have retired, players have transferred, players have left football, just didn't work out. Joe, even look at the 2021 recruiting class. They have five players from just last year's recruiting class who aren't with the program. So I just I, I mentioned that is to say that is the reclamation project that Mike McIntyre is starting from. I think it's going to take a year of getting bodies in, whether it's transfers or high school kids and getting them adjusted. And then next year they'll sign a recruiting class and they'll bring in transfers and whatnot. And I think that's the year you probably can look for FIU to take off. But just in general, I, I think those are some of the things I've noticed in campus, just the energy level. And then the fact that, you know, this is still really a, a program that is super young, super inexperienced, and it's definitely going to be on the job training this year. Yeah, that's actually kind of a nice segue. This is more or less kind of a clean slate for FIU this year, given the losses and all the changes that this program's gone through in the last year. Um, and I believe it was actually you that asked Coach Mack a question about managing a roster, given all that info, as well as all the new rules um surrounding transfers and eligibility in the COVID year and all that um in college football and, and here's what he had to say coach you've run in over a dozen and a half transfers you obviously spend time in the NFL with the Cowboys what if you could talk about the roster management aspect of college football and just and specifically how that's changed from your last head coaching job to now yes um when we were just sitting here talking about coach Parcells a minute ago he, he's the master at it um I, I loved watching him manage the rosters um, so that helped me sitting back and watching him kind of taking some expertise from that. Um, I actually sat back and jotted back some notes. I remember him talking about different things on how to how to build a team, especially with all the movement we had. Um, you know, the, the thing is, is you have to fill out your roster. You have to be certain depth at every position. You can't get overloaded in one. I believe that we did a good job of that. Um, um, it's been a unique situation with getting there and some kids had left and then um, recruiting some young men to come back like this one right here and, 
And so we were able to do that and then getting some great young men in like this one right here. Um, and so we really tried to dive into that um, and work at that part. And then, of course, you know, in South Florida, there's a lot of great high school football players, too. And I thought we did a good job of, of getting a good mixture last year in that um, tumultuous time there in January and December um, and then through February. But uh, I felt like that our roster filled out well. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see how that develops through fall camp. One quick follow-up on that, Coach. You've added some guys who are South Florida natives who yes. went to Power 5 schools and want to come back home. Is that part of the approach that some guys, you know, maybe they'll go to Syracuse and realize they don't want to be in the winter and, you know, 10 degrees in November and they can come back on the, on the, on the back end? Right. I, you know, there, there is a little bit to that with the new transfer rules. And, you know, Dade and Broward are unique areas. The kids all know each other from the high school football down there. It's really unique. Um, so I think when guys go away and it's not going like they like it or they want to, people can't get there to watch them play enough because it's hard to get out of there to get places, um, I believe that uh, that will intrigue more and more guys. And as we get better and better our program and as we upgrade our program in a lot of different areas that Tyrese was talking about, kids will hear about that and understand that because they have a lot of guys that are on our team that they played with. Um, so I think that would be a good appeal for us to have some young men come back that want to play um, at FIU and play there in Miami. Um, so it seems like that kind of positive attitude that that Coach Mack is bringing into this, I think, is really going to benefit them in the long run. And, you know, Eric, you hit on um, all these, you know, talented pieces that seem to be adopting that kind of philosophy. And, you know, hopefully it works out for them. I, I, like, there's just been so much bad luck, for lack of a better term, surrounding them in terms of injuries the last couple of years that – even with, you know, I don't know, the greatest college football tactician you can think of, it, it wouldn't have been an easy job, no matter who was at the head coaching helm last season. And it's going to be tough this season, too. You know, ultimately, like FIU has some tough, tough dates on here. And you mentioned, you know, not being able to, you know, win an FBS game since 2019. It's certainly going to be tough again this year, considering how much they're going to be on the road. And he hit on how it can be a positive due to the, you know, kind of unpredictable weather in Florida in September, but, you know, with games, you know, at Texas state and, um, you know, some other, uh, some other tough, tough flights. I believe one of those is at Western Kentucky as well in the first month of the season, it, it's going to be tough. So Eric, what do you, what are your thoughts on that, that tough road stretch in September there for FIU? Yeah, Joe, that is the key to FIU season this year. In my mind, again, I don't think they're going to make a bowl game. That's not, because of you know anything with Mike McIntyre related, it's just because they got to get enough bodies. But they have, and I, I have to crunch the numbers, one of the more unique schedules in all of college football because they open up September 1st against Bryant at home on a Thursday night. And then they don't play at home again for five weeks. They go to Texas State. They have a bye week. They go to Western Kentucky and to New Mexico State. And then they return home to FIU Stadium uh, when they welcome UConn. And then the schedule really picks up. UTSA, Charlotte, uh, North Texas, FAU, UTEP, et cetera. But you talked about that opening to the season. I think that can serve as a true bonding experience for this team. Now, with that being said, as I mentioned, you have half of the roster that is experiencing some of the, the trial and tribulations of the past few years. They, A, have to beat Bryant. That's first and foremost. But then you take a look at the schedule and see if they don't get the Texas State game you do have to think Western Kentucky is going to be a loss. That's when, you know, the, the monkey on the back doesn't just continue in terms of you know losing to FBS teams and losing on the road. In my mind, I, I, I think, um, 
you know, and we'll probably talk about this in our season preview in terms of our roundtable. I, I think F, FIU, excuse me, is a four-win team this year. I, I'm not 100% sure if they get that first road game at Texas State. I think the one they'll get is at New Mexico State. But where it gets interesting is, and again, Scott Carr and company, they're trying to rebuild that atmosphere, rebuild that environment, give fans a reason to come out. Joe, in covering this team for five years, you know, players on the roster have talked about enjoying playing on the road. Not to say that they do so more than at home, but just to be honest, you know, you're going to get a, a bigger crowd, especially at Western Kentucky, Hodgson Smith Stadium, one of my favorite places in CUSA, uh, Texas State. You'd have to assume that, you know, that would probably be a, a, a fair crowd out there in San Marcos. And then I think New Mexico State, that's very much a rebuilding project. But I think it could be if they can come out of this stretch three and one. That, in my mind, is the most ideal circumstance when you return home to face a UConn team that's certainly rebuilding as well. By the time we hit October, I am going to be fascinated to see where FIU actually is. Like, I think a large part of where they end up is going to um, depend on how they do in that non-con slate. Um, because, you know, unfortunately for them, I think most of this league is pretty uh, matches up <laughs> um, optimistically for them against FIU, if that makes sense. So to wrap up, uh, you know, the kind of the team previews here, um, let's talk about Rice. Um, Mike Bloomgren came in, appreciated, you know, his time talking with, um, you know, the members of our team that were there as well as just the general press. And, you know, one thing that was, you know, interesting to, to kind of hear him talk about, and it's always interesting to me, I, I don't, I can't even really put a finger on why. But the academic standards at Rice are so high, and here's here's a little bit of him talking about you know how pleased he is with some of his guys meeting those expectations, as well as you know just kind of being leaders on a on a football team that's you know trying to figure itself out after the last couple of years. You got one in the bat. Yeah, I was wondering what your thoughts were, Coach, on the movement towards potentially freedom of movement with the elimination of the one-time transfer rule. Yeah, I, I think reading that last week. Um, made me take a deep breath, right? Like, because the reason I say that is not because of knowing exactly what it will look like. Because although we think we know what it'll look like, until we live these things, we never quite do. Like, we can all predict. Like, when you have the portal, when you have a one-time transfer, what that's going to look like. I don't. I don't exactly know what unlimited transfers look like. I don't know what it looks like for eligibility. I don't know what it looks like for graduation rates. Which, when you're at a school like Rice and you've got a bunch of people that are on the the conference commissioners on a roll. I think we had 89 last year, which is the highest number we've ever had since I've been there. And you know, we take these steps with GPA, and we were a thousand APR. Like those things. Like, will they ever happen again? Will people ever be able to do that if the focus is just on? getting to a place of comfort in a program and not going through a couple tough times and, and learning how to overcome those things. So I worry about that, but I'll go back to what we experienced, and that's the portal. And aside from taking away my assistant coaches weekends and, and making these guys host recruits a little more often, it has been a net positive for the right house, Rice House. And so uh, I guess I have to say, like, we'll find a way. Like, the, the thing's going to – the landscape's going to change and you're going to adapt or die. And so I, I think, you know, the number Chuck and I talked about is we brought in three receivers that have played college football and combined they have 230 catches and 2,800 yards that we just – infused into our receiver room and you never could have done that before the transfer portal and one-time transfer so i'm sure there will be some silver lining to somebody who transfers for the seventh time too we'll figure that out i guess 
All right. And, you know, coming back from that, one of the the thing that's really fascinating for me with rice is can their key pieces stay healthy? Um, because that is going to be critical to whether or not they break that that four win mark that uh, Mike Bloomgren hit last year. And as they kind of look to improve on that and really get this program back to, you know, contending for bowl games, they're going to need, you know, guys like Luke McCaffrey to have a big year. They're going to have, you know, they're going to need George and Nyquall's knees to, to hold up, um, you know, unfortunately, and, you know, kind of get his career going back in a, back in a positive direction. Uh, they have some, some great names like on the interior line, like, um, you know, Shea Baker, Isaac Klarkowski, um, Ed Rusher, um, Ed Chukwu. But yeah, rice rice is an intriguing concept. I, I don't really contend. I don't expect for them to contend for anything major. But this seems like a focused team with some interesting pieces, as uh, our own Steve Helwick's been writing about a little bit the last couple of weeks. What are your expectations for this rice team, Eric? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, you talk about some of the guys they have on the roster. In, in my mind, the biggest thing that I think, and I talk about this again, shout out to Matt Bartlett, the Roofs podcast. There's your, your, I'll give him a positive reference as opposed to, you know, giving him a hard time at the start of this podcast. Joe, do you realize that the Rice Owls have not been able to start one quarterback for the entirety of the year in Mike Bloomgren's tenure? That, in my mind, is going to, I don't want to say make or break this year, but let me throw it to you in the form of a question, Joe. Mm-hmm. Given Mike Bloomgren's, you know, pedigree as an offensive guy, you know, came from Stanford, St- excuse me, came from Stanford. Stanford is the former offensive coordinator. What are your thoughts about the fact that, A, he hasn't been able to, and it's one thing if, you know, guys get banged up because that has happened under his tenure. But with that being said, does it, <laughs> I, I won't even lead you. What are your thoughts on the fact that he's an offensive guy yet has not been able to find that guy at quarterback, whether out of the high school ranks, the transfer portal, which he's gone to every season since he's been there. And then the last guy he brought in ends up, you know, Steve Helbert wrote a great feature on Luke McCaffrey. He's playing receiver. Just any thoughts on that before I kind of elaborate? I mean, I don't really have any deep thoughts on it other than that's a really unfortunate spot. I mean, you look at some of the quarterbacks that he had to work with it or, you know, that were at his disposal at Stanford, you know, Andrew Luck. And, you know, there's um, there's a few other ones that I'm um, I'm sure Emily Van Buskirk is listening to this and screaming the names of right now. But, um, yeah, he it's unfortunate that he's had such bad luck at that regard and keeping guys healthy. And, you know, when you talk about like the transfer portal, like, again, the academic standards at Rice make that a little bit difficult um, to really get like. You know, just statistically, the guys who are like the crazy athletes that, uh, you know, really like sell tickets on their own. I'm interested to see how that comes together. If I don't know if Luke McCaffrey, here's the thing. I think Luke McCaffrey will be a fine receiver. I don't completely understand the move. I think he would have been a fine quarterback and would have potentially been that piece that they're looking for. But again, if you go back and read the piece that Steve Helwick wrote this week, Seems like uh, he's settling into that role really nicely. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, I'm not asking you to bash Mike Bloomgren, but I, I, I guess it's one again. It's one thing if it's injuries, and they have had some injuries. I mean, I, I know Sean Stank, Sean Stankavage, excuse me, um, missed a, a couple games that first year during year one. Obviously, Wiley Green got hurt, um, but I don't know. I guess it, it's just. It is interesting to me the fact that he hasn't been able to, again, as an offensive guy, hasn't been able to find one guy that you at least think from year to year, 
you can carry over and you're not starting a different person each year. So that's just kind of my thing. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year, you know, with some of the quarterbacks that have on the roster. But and my, to get back to your original point, Joe, I think that's going to be the make or break situation for Dallas this year. If they can get some consistency at quarterback, that at least puts them in striking distance to possibly contend for a bowl, despite the fact that last year was probably a better team on field they had this year. I mean, you talked about George Nyakwal, Gabe Taylor, you know, young brother of Sean Taylor. He's looking to be a standout safety as well. So um, they have some pieces, but I think they just it can't be, and I think Steve talked about this on Twitter, it can't be 15 plays each time. I love brutal br- – <laughs> let's, let's try this again. I love – intellectual brutality as a slogan. I think it's one of the best slogans in all of college football, but it can't be 15 plays each drive. I think I even made the, made the joke that said, all right, you know, well, now they'll go 12 plays instead of 15. You got to have a couple five, six, seven play drives in there where you're getting down the field and that all starts with having a quarterback who can make the plays. That is a great way to put it. There's just, no, there's nobody really on this offense for as solid as I think some of these guys are. There's not a lot of like explosion capability. So I'm interested to see if any of that shines through at some point during the season for them. At one point during COSA Media Day, Eric, we also got to hear from uh, Commissioner Judy McLeod. So, you know, quickly, I'm curious, um, anything from that media availability there with her that really stuck out to you? Two things. One, um, the TV question, which I believe I asked. And, you know, I understand there are certain things that she can't get into, but she kind of Took a pass on that. And again, I understand. I get it. You know, it, 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 listen, it doesn't do her any good if there isn't a concrete answer. And if there's something that just legally she's bound, she can't get into. I understand that as well. But that was one. Two, um, what stood out to me was the regionality question. I don't know if you heard that one. Again, I can't remember if I asked that or if that was Brett Vito or not, but it may have been me. I, th- I think it was me. But nevertheless, I, I'll share the credit if it was Brett. She talked about this conference being more regional than it was prior. And I guess in a sense that is true because um, you look at you pick up Sam Houston State, you know, and, and Mexico State, obviously, you, know, you pair with, uh, you know, a UTEP and whatnot. It, it does make sense that, that there's a little more in terms of a distance. But with that being said, it's a far cry from what the Sun Belt has. And, and in my mind, that's one of the biggest things that's affecting Conference USA, Joe, is and I, I, I had this conversation with, you know, uh, uh, someone I'll, I'll leave anonymous, but he's one of the uh, uh, league broadcasters here. And he was saying that he really likes the idea of what the, what the Sun Belt has, that even if you're not a alumni or alumnus or uh, what's the correct phrase? You're smarter than me. Even though we both have two degrees. <laughs> like alumnus, alum, uh, you're an alum. Even yes. though you're not an alum. For one person, and it's an alum. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not an alum of one of those schools. If you're from the area, as this person is, you got to be intrigued by South Alabama, Southern Miss. You know, you got to be intrigued by, you know, Marshall ODU. Just the, in my mind, again, the fact that most of those schools, and this isn't the Sunbelt podcast, but most of those schools are a, a driving distance. You know, you and your buddies can hop in a car and drive, you know, two hours, three hours or whatever it is and, and go to a game. That to me is something I think Conference USA is lacking. Um, so, is there a certain regionality that maybe Conference USA does have in technicality? Sure, but I think the ideal circumstance would have to be something that uh, 
Sunbelt has as a G5 league. We understand that regionality is going out the window in today's college football. You look at the P5 league, but as a G5 league, I think there's something to be desired about that as far as creating that fan culture, right? You know, reason to be invested in those games. Uh, I, I think that's a big point that, uh, you know, Conference USA will have to develop as uh, the new, our, new incarnation comes and maybe some rivalries organically can, can spring up out of that. Yeah, it's not out of the question. Uh, real quick to correct myself, it's uh, alumnus is the definition of one. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you, Google. Thank you, Google. That shows you what my advanced degree is worth. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, with with the regionality thing, it it is great is what I'm trying to say. Um, I like what the Sun Belt's done. And just with the way that everything else is kind of set up, it, the G5, like creating those geographic rivalries and setting yourself up the way that the Sun Belt has, the Sun Belt just kind of ran into, you know, a perfect set of circumstances over the last like 10 years or so, maybe 15, to get where they are now. And because of how well they kind of set themselves up, it, it's a lot tougher for leagues like CUSA and the AAC to do that now without like really forfeiting like the high dollar value programs, you know? Um, so it, it's interesting. Um, I, I did ask her, I didn't think it was a completely unreasonable question about moving the COSA office out of, of Dallas considering after 2023, uh, the closest, like there's, there's not going to be any schools in the DFW area with the departure of North Texas. And then you're going to have to go down to, um, you know, Sam Houston state, I think is the next closest one, um, to DFW. I might be wrong there, but the, the plan is for them to stay in Dallas. Um, and definitely, uh, like we said, nothing groundbreaking there, but, um, certainly appreciate the commissioner's time. And I don't know, there's nothing that really surprised me, but clearly I think COSA has some things to work out, particularly on the media side, like you mentioned, and just, making sure that the remaining schools and the schools coming in have what they need in order to succeed and, um, you know, build their profiles the way that they want to. All right. So we'll, we'll start wrapping the show up. I appreciate y'all listening up to this point and hearing what we thought of what we heard from the coaches at CUSA media day, as well as some of the players. Hope you enjoyed some of the, uh, candid conversations that we have to share. Um, and also, you know, this kind of, I guess is serving as like our pod, um, previewing CUSA in general right now. Um, and you know, we, we appreciate y'all dealing with that as well. Um, and we're going to have more content on the site to talk about conference USA, but you know, before, before we, uh, send folks home, um, before we, you know, end this, Eric, you, you had some questions about my music taste because I, I participated in an Instagram meme about 10 albums. I can't live 10 albums that I can only listen to for the rest of my life. The, the 10 albums I can only listen to. Um, yeah, I, I sent you my selections. What are your thoughts? I will say this. There are some that I expected and mm-hmm. some that, that caught me off guard. Okay. Uh, one, uh, the ones that I expected, all right? Weezer, self-titled. Great Metallica, album. Master of Puppets. I, I, can, I can see that. Now, these are, I'm, I haven't heard these, but I, I, I can see them. Okay. Um, Morrison Hotel by the Doors. Um, mm-hmm can see that uh appeal to reason my rise against and i've heard some of that album that's a good album uh the ones that caught me off guard beyonce mm-hmm. uh self-titled by the way um where we are uh numb encore i guess i shouldn't be surprised but it did catch me by surprise and then lastly good kid mad city i i i and i guess that's because Fantastic i don't know, album. 
I, because I, I don't know your the hip hop taste you have, I don't know what they are. That's why those caught me off guard. But specifically, Beyonce and Good Kid, Mad City. So I, I will let you uh, uh, elaborate, and then, and then I'll give you a handful. I don't have ten, so I'm doing this on the fly. But I can give you some of mine that I think would fall into that category. Sure. I mean, you know, for one, as much of a metalhead and kind of just like rock fan that I am, I guess I can't deny how good Beyonce is, really. Um, so I figure, and also, if you look at the rest of those selections, I feel like if I could only listen to like one, I like, I feel like I would go nuts if I was just listening to metal all of the time and for the rest of my life. So I figured like if in this thought experiment, I need something to break it up. And Beyonce seemed like a great, um, that album specifically seemed like a great example, or I haven't given her new one the time it probably deserves. I've listened to a couple tracks. Um, it, I don't know what you guys know about football writers lives in August, but especially ones that also have <laughs> two other jobs, but it's extremely busy. Um, so I don't know. I had all that to say, I haven't listened to the new Beyonce album a lot yet, but I, I really like her last one. The self-titled one. That was really great. Um, or was that two albums ago? I can't remember. Anyway, that one's great. Um, and good kid, mad city. Um, I'm a big fan of cohesiveness and, when it comes to that album, I feel like everything flows into each other really well. Um, it, it tells a great story, and I love when albums do that. Um, and I'm, I'm never going to be a claim to be an expert on hip hop, but I think that that's probably that. I mean, that's that's my personal favorite hip hop album of the last 20 years. So, I, again, I, I cannot. I, there's nothing there that you said that I can, um, you know, hate on or, or I, I just like I said, those are ones that that caught me by surprise. So. In the vein of that, uh, I've come with a few that I think may catch you by surprise. How about that? I, I won't even go with the okay. ones that you may expect. I, I will go with the ones I think may catch you by surprise. Okay. We're going to start with Ace of Bass, the sign. <laughs> the, the, the album. Okay. Sure. The album. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to try to like build up here in, in, in shock, I, I believe. Um. This one shouldn't surprise you as, you know, we're roughly the same age. So this era, uh, hybrid theory. I mean, Linkin Park is self-explanatory. That album was a monster. Nobody can okay. deny it. Uh, Tantric, their self-titled album. I'm not familiar at all. Okay. 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 Um, Breakdown by Tantric. No, no. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a couple of these off here. Maybe a little, little right. poppy for your, for your rock taste. Okay. Um, I, now I think we're going to increase here in, in shock. Um, I am a huge garbage fan, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I I am surprised. Garbage is great. Garbage is underappreciated. Okay. Garbage, both self-titled and version two. Okay. <laughs> that, that does surprise me. Okay. I, I think we're going to go a little even better here. Uh, I shouldn't even have to name the artist, but uh, Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> yes. I love that you love Atlantis Morissette. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> and last but not least, again, I shouldn't have to name the artist here. Tuesday Night Music Club. Tuesday Night Music Club. Okay. That's the and artist or the song? The, no, I said I shouldn't have to name the artist. Uh, so I, I, I was curious, but it doesn't sound as if you are familiar with that. Uh, oh, sure. It's a Sheryl Crow. I just, I have Google pulled up. It's a Sheryl Crow album. Okay. I mean, yeah. not, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as big into Sheryl Crow as I am some of the other contemporaries of hers, but okay. So, so yeah, those are the ones I think would surprise you. You know, I can give you the ones I feel like you think you would know. You my wheelhouse, but those are my uh, surprises. So, uh, how'd I do? 
That's great. Had I known you were in Alanis Morissette, I would have invited you to Bourbon and Beyond in Kentucky coming up uh, next month. It's it's a lot of 90s kind of grungy people. Pearl Jam's there. Alanis Morissette's there. I want to say they built this uh, lineup of this festival for all the people who thought the Forecastle Festival was uh, they that they've aged out of like the very Gen Z heavy, <laughs> Gen Z heavy Forecastle lineup that uh, Jack Harlow is highlighting. But, uh, highlighting, <laughs> but yeah. It's going to bother me because I feel like I should know this tantric song. Let me break down and down and out. Those are the two that I feel like you should know. I mean, it sounds vaguely familiar. Um, I'm sure if I if I had a time machine, it, it could take me back to a very specific point in my life where I heard it on the radio at some point. But yeah, I, I mean, how many did you give there? How many albums? Uh, two, four, six. Okay. What are the other four? I, I could go with any four Jay-Z albums. And, but if I had to pick my two favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my lifetime, volume two, and then of course, blueprint. Uh, in my lifetime, volume two is a hard knock life for those men. I know <laughs> the full title there. Uh-huh. Um, I probably go Jeezy, uh, young Jeezy. The um, uh, come on, I'm gonna brain fart here. Um, I know the album. Um, uh, come on, come on. Wow, that's gonna bother me. It'll, it'll, it'll come to me. Jeezy's first album. Um, why is that, that is completely bothering because that is a classic. Um, not trap or die. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, let's get it. Doug, Doug motivation. Doug motivation. One on one. So that, and then uh, probably outcast a toss up between uh, ATL AT, ATL ends. Um, always a, a tricky word to say. Um, and Stankonia. Uh, I feel like I'm gonna go Stankonia, but it, it, it's tough. Um, I mean, even uh, uh, Acquiemini is is. Ooh, wow, that's tough. See, it's hard to choose between Outcast album, but one of those would, would would round out my list. I was lucky enough to go see Outcast on their 20th anniversary tour. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, see that that's uh that that's and the thing is like I, I should I could probably you know you did 10, so I could bounce this out to like 15, and you know <laughs> probably do like Nicki Minaj, Pink Friday is close. You know Drake, uh-huh, uh, nothing yeah. was the same is is close. Um, uh, Chief Keef. Um, yeah, again, and that's what was like, get some Chicago be, in there. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. If you had to be in Chicago for that era, but yeah, which well, I guess we should close this podcast on, on uh, sooner or later, but I got to ask you this, Joe, uh-huh. you know, we, we tend to get random. Did you see the Woodstock 99 documentary on Netflix? Not yet. I, I need to dive into that. Um, <laughs> is it good? Phenomenal. Um, uh, more, more breasts than I was expecting. But okay. looking back, hindsight being 2020, I guess Woodstock of, of the late 90s, I should have expected that. Um, but a phenomenal documentary. Absolutely recommend for anyone who just likes music and documentaries and whatnot. Check it out. Okay. I, we, I, I will need you to report back on your thoughts on that next, uh, next episode. I know how the story ends. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Um, fantastic. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening and dealing with our our randomness to end this one. Uh, If you're not already subscribe on Apple, leave a review, help us grow the show at underdog dynasty on Twitter at J O E H I O underscore for me at Eric C Henry underscore for Eric. And um, yeah, like I said, we'll be bringing you content every week to uh, talk about G five football, specifically CUSA from us, uh, Brian Stone and Zeke Palermo for the Sun Belt, and then Dan Morrison and Emily Van Buskirk for the American Conference. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.